Alright then. Quick show of hands before we start. Who has to go into work tomorrow or to a place of study? As I expected, most of us, um, not all of us, I know there's some mothers here, I know some people are retired, um, I know there are people who might be unemployed. So, out of those people who just put their hands up, who at 20 past 8 has got the Sunday night feeling? Excellent. Um, It's Monday tomorrow, and as Sunday draws out to an end, I'm sure many of our minds are starting to turn to tomorrow morning. What time shall I set the alarm for? I hope the roads are clear. I really wish it's a miserable day tomorrow so I can enjoy the sunshine at the weekend and the rain and the work day. What about that awful piece of work that you put off on Friday because it was the afternoon? You thought, that can wait until Monday. So we're starting to come back round, isn't it? The earliest I've ever had the Sunday night feeling was actually the very moment I woke up on Sunday, which I thought was pretty atrocious. Um, and incidentally, it was my stag weekend. So um, we're in Derbyshire in the Peak District, knee-deep in snow, uh, great time with friends, many who I uh, hadn't seen for months because they all live around the country. And there I am, I wake up Sunday morning, and I think because I was, ha- because I was having such a good time, I woke up and just thought, ah, oh, this has to end. I need to grab every last moment Sunday has got because I have to go to work tomorrow. And apparently, I think if you ask me most days, I'd say I enjoy my job. So, not sure how those go together. I want to start tonight with a few quotes. Um, so, if we could fire those up. Teddy Roosevelt. I'm sure many of us know who he is. No man needs sympathy because he has to work. Probably should have known that on my stag weekend. Far and away the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. And then we've got uh, Dale Carnegie. Um, He is an American author. He wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is uh, quite a well-known book. He said, are you bored with life? Then throw yourself into some work you believe in with all your heart. Live for it die for it and you will find happiness that you had thought could never be yours and then we've got Vince Lombardi Um, I don't know if many of you know who he is he is one of American football's greatest coaches Um, and he was so successful that the American Super Bowl trophy is named after him so he said I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfilment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. Work is something we all have to contend with at some point in our lives. It consumes a huge portion of our waking hours for most of our living years, and possibly for more of our living years, as retirement seems to be changing. Therefore, it seems only right that after this series where we've considered the Christian approach to to money, to purpose, to the environment, we consider work also. I think we've reached a rather interesting place, actually, because over the last few weeks, we've spent a lot of time on Sunday nights and small groups talking about those, and now here we are at the end discussing work. Why do I think that? Because I think, and I hope you agree with me, that actually, by talking about work now, it's relevant because it's 
where we are most thrust out into the spotlight, where people see how we react, what we say, how we live our lives. And actually, all of those things of previous weeks are put on display when we go to work. I work in human resources, and one of the big HR trends, it's exciting, um, at the moment is the concept of employee engagement. Quite simply, how do you get employees to care about their work? How do you get them to engage with what they're doing? That's it in a nutshell. So there's a couple of ways this theory says you can do that. There's increased physical effort. Basically, will you go the extra mile in your job? Will you put your back into it? There's increased emotional investment, where you try to increase the attachment, the emotional attachment you feel towards your job. So that might be pride. So that might be the, the piece of work you want to do really well, that report, that, that piece of study you've got to do, you want to do it really well. One of the things the HR theory doesn't cover, and I think it's pretty fundamental, ahead of everything we're going to talk about tonight, is that we have a spiritual investment in our work. Not only does God care immensely about every part of our lives, including our work practices, our colleagues, and our attitudes, but he made us in his image to work. In Genesis, we see God working, creating. In John, Jesus says, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Work is designed by God to be one of the most fulfilling things we were created to do. Not sure it feels like that sometimes. But he gives us gifts to use and to utilise to work on something. And I think that explains perhaps the boredom we feel when our hands are not at a task. It explains why unemployment is so dissatisfying. Why when we're at a school studying that work as well, when we're at a workplace where we're not happy, we get that feeling of there's something not quite right here. If the gift of work is therefore part of being made in God's image, it's therefore worthy for us to consider, it's worthy for us to pray about, and it's worthy for us to be transformed about. So for some of us here tonight, to work, and every time I say that, that might be paid work. It might be as an employee. It might be as an employer. It might be as a self-employed person. For others, it might be voluntary work and the services and the causes you commit your time to. Alternatively, to work may be as a student. It may be as a full-time mother. It may be as a retiree putting that work into the voluntary sector. You do not have to be in paid work to consider what God has to say about your working life. Now we could spend a whole series talking about work in itself. There's many different aspects to work. Our attitudes towards it change. Sometimes we enjoy it, sometimes we don't. But I want to briefly cover tonight two huge areas in themselves. Firstly, what is our attitude towards work? Whatever that work means for us, as I just said. And then secondly, I want to venture into having integrity at work. And that will then be the basis of the small group sessions, which will feed off the back of this uh, tonight. I think small groups is the really great place for this topic, because for each and every one of us, work is a different experience. 
We each work in different places, with different people, with different bosses, with different pressures. And actually, it requires discussion, it requires prayer, it requires challenging each other as a community of people. And if goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, that's been attached to tonight, if the fruit of the Spirit is for the wider church body, for, for the goodness to be impacting our attitudes to work, then having those discussions in the community small group is the ideal place to take this on to. So let's pray, um, and then we'll read a passage from the Bible. Father, I thank you for tonight. I uh, thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that we can come before you in worship. And Father, I thank you for the various kinds of work that you give us to put our hand to. And I just really pray that you will challenge us tonight about our attitude towards work, what it means to serve you. And I just really pray, God, that we will leave here uh, with a different attitude to how we came in. And quite relevantly, I pray that we will take that into our places of work this week. I just pray, God, that um, you will keep our hearts and ears open to what you've got to say to each and every one of us. Amen. So if you've got a Bible around you, I don't know if, I think there's a few around on tables, it should be on the back of chairs. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. So Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 8, reads, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of, of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So this passage is about slaves and masters in the first century. And the temptation is therefore to see the word slave and instantly dismiss it as irrelevant for us today. But I think the ending of verse 8 puts pay to that and tells us that this is true for someone slave or free. It's also worth noting that when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, slavery was not like our, almost like our 19th century image. Um, we think of the colonialism, we think of, we think of the boats perhaps uh, ferrying slaves, we think of the depravity and the shameful bondage of that. In the context of the Roman Empire, most, not all, but most of the slavery in that time was people willingly selling themselves into work. It was a tied form of service that individuals could choose to enter and become bonded servants. These slaves had rights. For example, they could marry. There were rules that governed their freedom, so they could buy their freedom at any point. And equally, there were rules about the time limits that their masters would have to set them free. So it's very different to perhaps how we think of slaves. Notice how Paul mentions Christ in each and every verse. In verse 5, 
we are to work just as if we were obeying Christ. And we are to have respect and fear for those who have positional seniority over us. Respect and fear for those who have seniority over us. In verse 6, we are to work hard when people know it and when people don't know it. To live as people committed to Christ and to be people of integrity in work. Here, in this verse, I believe we also see the biblical mandate to bring our working lives before God. Our careers, to bring them to God. In a passage regarding slaves' obedience to their masters, Paul says to do the will of God from your heart. I think here we see the opening that what we do for work, how we do it, where we do it, might be of some interest to God's will for our life. If your career and your work and your attitudes to work are something you're holding on to as your own and you've not brought them before the Lord, I think this verse is your instruction. Verse 7, often quoted, is a reminder to us to who we truly serve. We come to church on a Sunday, we go to work on the Monday, but we don't switch off our relationship with God, we don't switch off our service to him. Through who we serve in verse 7 and who rewards in verse 8, we are reminded that God is essentially our ultimate employer. We choose to serve him and it is he who will reward. That is the the nature of the employer-employee relationship. We serve and they reward. If we find ourselves struggling with either our work ethic or we have a terrible boss, which I expect many of us might have, let these verses be an encouragement about God's rightful place in your working life. So what is our attitude towards work to be? I'd like to drill down into three attitudes, um, each of which have a flawed belief about them. And then from there, we'll come out on the other side with what I think is um, an al- a fourth alternative, really. So the first is that I derive my meaning and my self-worth from work. Let's take an individual. Let's paint a bit of a picture. We'll call him Bill. Um, don't know why I chose Bill. Um, Bill went through school and he was very successful. He got A's and A stars. B stood for bad. Um, And he went to a very prestigious university and he also achieved well. And he came out with his first, got a job in the city, pays very handsomely, got a bit of a high life going on. After years of achievement, the possibility of failing now is what drives him on. He goes to church, but his relationship with God is a little bit stretched, mainly because he's in the office from dawn till dusk. And he's got lots of friends, but he's not really seen many of those lately either. He's got a family, and again, a little bit stressed because he's always at work. His attendance at church is a little bit on the edge. He's starting to fall by the wayside. Every now and then he's not around. No, no problem, you might think, but there's no real commitment to other things going on in church life. The flawed belief here that Bill has is, of course, that work defines us. Essentially, work has become an idol in Bill, this character's life. Think how easy we make it to fall into this flawed belief. Every time you meet a new person, what are the two questions you ask? Who are you? What do you do? 
I challenge us to find an alternative to those questions. I always try to wait as long as possible before I ask that question. It's hard. So We see, particularly earlier in the book of Ephesians, especially chapters 1 and 2, that our self-worth is to come from who Jesus is and what he has done. The challenge here for us is to accept God as the one who tells us who he is, to accept that word over us, and take that into work and not from work. So a response might be that of a second individual. Let's call this person John. John goes to work every day. Um, he is very um, dissatisfied with his work. He's in, a, he's in a very menial job, very repetitive. He doesn't stretch him. He's not engaged, that word again. Um, he dislikes his colleagues. Um, so he just you know, has the standard banter, but he doesn't really open up to them or anything. And so he is clock-watching. He gets in at 8 o'clock in the morning, and he's desperate for 6 o'clock to come round at night. It is, in effect, the opposite to this guy, to Bill. He's come to the conclusion that work is pointless unless it is full-time church work or if it is full-time missionary work. Because he loves going to church, he's very involved, but he totally separates work from that. The flawed belief here is that God has no care for my work, for John's work in this example. And I think living in this flawed belief will lead to a very miserable existence Um, for a couple of reasons but I'll just give one I think the obvious one is that there's a fragmentation to John this character's life he's picking and choosing what parts of his life he's letting God care about and as a result of that John goes to work in these very repetitive menial tasks and he has no sense of God's passion for him he has no sense of God's presence when he's at work There is, in effect, no sign of John, this character, recognising the Lord's smile over him, the joy when, that Ephesians passage, he does his will at work. A third attitude might be that I go to work solely to witness. Now, let's call this individual Sarah. As I was thinking of names, I had to think of HR equality. Needed a woman. Um... Now, Sarah, let's say she works in an open office environment. She doesn't dislike her job at all. Um, she um, has lots of friends. She's very nice, very lovely person. And she's um, really keen on making everyone else in this open office cups of tea. And she's very generous with her time. She's always, she's always asking who wants a cuppa. She'll go make it. She'll bring it round. And then she's looking for a chat. She's looking, she's looking how can I... How can I develop this conversation? So Sarah spends a lot of time by the water cooler and uh, she's just waiting for those conversations to come round. Now Sarah has lost sight of why she goes to work, which is, of course, to work. She goes to work solely to witness. She has a misplaced motivation And unsurprisingly, her performance is quite poor because every time she should be working on that report or that spreadsheet, 
she's thinking ahead to that next conversation. Because at 12 o'clock, we definitely got Sarah's colleague to realise what sin was. And I'm hoping by 4.30 coffee, we'll probably have said the sinner's prayer. So, she's planning ahead. The flawed belief here is that all life is reduced to evangelism. If life is all the things we do for God, evangelism will certainly, absolutely certainly, be a healthy part of that. Certainly many of us do evangelise at work, which is incredible, because a lot of Christians cannot or do not. My experience so far of work has been to ask the key question of, what values am I going to bring into this situation, into this conversation? Am I being salt? Am I being light? Rather than Sarah, who might say, how many people have I prayed for today? How many people have I invited to church next week? I would suggest that the right attitude to work, waged or unwaged, like I said at the start, different kinds of work, as implied by our Ephesians passage, is to work as made in the image of God, to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. If we believe that God cares about our work and our doing, then we would be fulfilling the will of God. Ephesians tells us that God rewards. Now, I don't expect any of us think a paycheck from God is about to come through the post this month. But he notices. For the good things, he'll encourage. For the wrong things, he'll challenge. And his spirit can transform. Work is a remarkable place when you think about it. We each spend around 50, 60, 70, do I dare go any higher, 80% of our, of our waking hours in one place where we come together with non-believers in the same place, for the same purpose, under the same pressures, under the same boss. God has certainly put us into a unique situation and each of our situations is that, exactly, it's unique. It's unique in the way we've got there. The interests we have, the passions, the skills, the abilities, the educations. And we must, we must act as Christ's ambassador in that place. Apart from a regular viewing of Father Ted or Vicar Dibley or Rev, you may be the only Christian, your client, your customer, your, your supplier, your colleague, regularly engages with. I think we need to show we're normal. It may be entirely right for you to evangelise. Don't shy away from faith at all, please. As I said at the start, work is where we're taken out of this Sunday bubble we have here and we're put onto this stage of life for all the people to see. And therefore our attitudes, our servanthood, our humility, our hard work, our gentleness, our respect and integrity will be what is seen. So as you can see, we're starting to move away from evangelism by the water cooler, office in the cafeteria, uh, prayer in the cafeteria, and we're starting to move to a, to a being in the, in, at work that is value-driven, let's say, where we consider that our values are seen by other people. So if you want to grab your Bibles again, um, we're just going to turn to Psalm 15. don't have a page number, sorry, but if you 
whack the Bible in half, you should fall somewhere in Psalms. Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. To live in the Lord's sacred tent, and to live on the holy mountain, is simply to be blessed with God's presence. That is the reward from Ephesians, the reward from the Lord who notices. What is required for us to live in that place? Psalm 15 says, walk blamelessly, speak truth, do no wrong to those around us, speak well of others. It is this that will be seen by others at work. Now when it comes to our workplace, there are two things that I think we need to consider. Um, what we're going to base our values about. So the first um, are what could be considered the business of doing business. So I quickly just put my head together um, to think about some of the dominant issues that we often see going on in our workplaces. So um, you might recognise some of these as going on in your life or in your workplace. Um, You might see the fact that you're stressed out and work-life balance. Um, There might be redundancies going on, especially at the moment. There might be backstabbing. There might be your views about your boss. There's all these things and so much more going on. We don't have time to go into each one of these in great depth because we'd be here a while. But, like I said, I imagine a lot of those will be familiar. I believe it is important that as Christians we pray into each of these as they come up in our workplaces. And we need to pray to work out what our reaction is in a way that honours Christ. How do you go to an interview and sell yourself expressing confidence but not arrogance? How do you let Jesus define you rather than that failed objective on your performance review? How do you speak well of that colleague who has been to your office every day for the last six months to pick a fight with you? How do you speak well of your boss when they've just made a shocking decision and he's out of the room? Each one of these will be happening in our workplaces. And like I said, the course needs to be decided upon in a way that honours Christ. And these are the situations that we respond to and show ourselves to be Christ's ambassadors. And we need to respond in the way that we see in Psalm 15. In addition to all the business of doing business things, we have ample things going on in our own lives that give us opportunities to seep our values into our workplaces. For example, in the year and a half that I've worked at uh, my place of employment, a secondary school in Arnold, My small office of three people, including me, we have had plenty of time to discuss life. And in that year and a half, I was just thinking about it, we've had a wedding, we've had a divorce, 
thankfully not the same person. Um, we've had new children. We've had children leaving for university. We've had dating. We've had moving in. We have had quite a lot of life's big events, really, between the three of us. And, of course, there's the continual things of how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What are the things you watch? What are the things you do in your leisure? What do you think about work when you're not here? Those hours of conversations have been filled with my input of, well, maybe your rubbish situation doesn't need to look like that. What if it looked like this? And it's that gentle kind of seeping of our values, realising where somebody else is coming from, realising what kingdom values are, and almost gently pushing back a little bit, offering that alternative. So getting married was a wonderful example. These two colleagues of mine, without giving too much detail, um, they've both been divorced, um, and they both struggle with the idea of marriage. Um, and so for Kat and I to get married was an incredible opportunity. Everyone's happy to talk about marriage. It offered a wonderful opportunity to just gently kind of find out what their values were and actually give that alternative to say to Kat and I what marriage meant from a Christian perspective. And it was nothing hugely like a big load just dumped on them for them to go away and process. It was just a, a gradual, well, this is what it is to me. I think we often have those large events, but also it's the daily things. It's the encouragement you give your colleague who's just had a falling out with somebody at home or at work. Do you come from a foundation of kingdom values that's going to bring truth into that person's situation? It's going to bring peace. It's going to bring reconciliation. Or do you come from an angle that's going to foster a culture of gossip and bitterness? Which side do you come from? It's very easy to be a thermometer, isn't it? Where we adjust to the environment that we're in at the time. In our Sunday selves here tonight, we may never come close to encouraging gossip, harbouring resentment. But in our work life, it's all too easy, isn't it? It's all too easy to hold that bit of anger about that decision your boss has made. To hold back forgiveness for someone who's undermined you. Earlier, I gave the example of someone who had a fragmented life. I think it was John. So he didn't like his job, but he loved church stuff. His attitude towards Christ was very different to his attitude towards work. Very different ends of the spectrum. What's the opposite of being fragmented, all these different parts of your life? It's to be integrated. It's to bring them all together as one. We are called by God to be people of truth and integrity. Now, integrity, being one, it goes beyond being honest with our words, but it will instead see an alignment between our words and our actions, a consistency of character that says to you, you know who I am when I'm stood here on a Sunday night, and equally, you know who I am when I'll be at work tomorrow going through a disciplinary procedure with somebody. It's that consistency of character. What gives us that consistency of character? The Lord is beckoning us to stand for something worthwhile. Him. Absolutely Him. To look to Him, to look to the values of His kingdom, what we see in the Bible, to decide, to actively decide if they're going to be the same as our own. 
and say in our workplaces, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. No big active declaration tomorrow morning. Just drawing the lines in your own decision making of this is what my value will be on circumstance X, situation Y. Our expression of integrity at work, this laying down kingdom values for ourselves, will be an outward sign that the Spirit is growing his fruit of goodness within us. What is goodness? Good, if you think about it, it's become a very underrated word in our, in our society these days. It's been quite easily replaced by brilliant, amazing, awesome. And good sounds a little bit bland. <laughs> what, how was it? It was good. It's almost like you're not quite sure. <laughs> like, how do you feel about this? Come on. Um, but we should hold the word with weight because we know God in his core character, in his very essence, is good. The Bible tells us that God is good. To be good, to display goodness, is for something to fulfil its expected purpose. For something to fulfil its expected purpose. God looked at his creation and said, it is good. At that time, it was as designed. It was fulfilling its expected purpose. For us to display goodness in our lives, we are living as God designed us, made in his image, replicating him. It is not about being good. Growing the fruit of goodness is not about being good, ticking the right boxes of behaviour, but is exhibiting God's goodness in our daily lives. There is the connection between a growing relationship with God, knowing who he is and what he stands for, and then the spirit growing goodness within us, making us able to stand for those same things. Psalms 15 says, standing to those values even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. I want to just tell you a story, really, to end, um, of two guys. Um, the guy on the left is a, guy, a man called Rich Nathan. He's uh, trained as a lawyer. Um, and Larry Flint um, is a porn magazine magnet. He owns all these porn magazines. Now, in the 1970s, um, Larry Flint, this guy on the right, he brought out in America a new porn magazine. And it was deemed so offensive, um, so much more hardcore, I guess is the perfect word, than the existing magazines that a prosecution case was brought against him. Um, Now, Rich Nathan, he was this lawyer. He had worked extremely hard throughout school, very successful, college, university, all his training to be a lawyer, years of hard graft. And he happened to work for the law firm that got asked to defend Larry Flint. Now, Rich Nathan is a Christian, and his boss came to him and said, do you know what, we've been assigned this case. We've got to defend Larry Flint. Here is a huge stack of porn magazines, which you need to go through in meticulous detail. Every word, every image, every layout, to decide if Larry Flint's magazines were more offensive than the ones already out there. 
So Rich Nathan was asked to do essentially the comparison between the existing poor magazines of the time and this new magazine. Now Rich Nathan turned around to his boss and said, not sure I can do that. That sounds a little bit too far for me personally. My integrity, his integrity wouldn't allow him to do it. So he asked his boss, can I be assigned to another case? We've got loads of cases on. What's the difference? And his boss turned around to him and said, if you do not do this, you can leave. And I will make sure you never work as a lawyer in New York again. Ever. Years of graft. Now, Rich Nathan, obviously a bit of a quandary, no doubt. He left. And he never worked as a lawyer again. Psalm 15, integrity, even when it hurts. And I think it's here we start to see the link between the Ephesians passage of doing the will of God. Because Rich Nathan never worked as a lawyer again, but he then went on to pastor one of the largest vineyard churches in America. He speaks worldwide at conferences. He's a renowned Bible teacher. And you start to see, actually, what was God doing in that situation. It reminds me very much of when Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. And then when he meets them again in Egypt, he says, you intended me for harm, but God used it for good. There is huge, huge power in maintaining our integrity at work and placing that higher in importance than our career. Huge power. Which kind of brings me back full circle, really, to where I want to end. There's a biblical mandate for us to bring our careers, our work lives, our attitude towards work. No matter where you are in life, in your working career, it's worthwhile thinking about and praying about. There is a biblical mandate to bring that to God. And Rich Nathan was obviously willing to say, what you want, God, is more important. We need to let God have control of our working lives. That's really hard for some of us, I think. And actually, as I was preparing this and praying, um, I really want us to have a bit of time of prayer now. Um, And if Tom and Emily, if that's all right, could make themselves available to pray, and Adrian and Katie could make themselves available. Apologies. <laughs> Last minute. And I specifically really want to encourage you to, if you're comfortable, to go to one of these guys and get some prayer, or we're going to spend a bit of time praying now, for two circumstances, really. One, if you have not given God control of your working life your career, your attitude towards work. And then secondly, I really want you um, to pray about where perhaps you might have compromised your integrity at work. Absolutely huge. Can be, might, you might not even know where that is, and it might be just something to pray about anyway. Um, but if, for example, you feel like you might have gone a little bit too far, it's very easy to go with the flow at work, isn't it? And people don't intentionally set out to do wrong, 
but it very easily becomes the norm. So, yeah, I really want you to go get some prayer. If you feel like integrity at work has become an issue for you, and then secondly, if you need to give God control of your career again. Let's pray, and then I'll invite the band back up, and the guys will be available for prayer just at the back.